Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. We'll give you thanks for uh, saying yes and amen to your purpose and promises in our life and the removal of all distractions and the removal of all things that can be shaken and will be shaken so that those things that you have purposed in your unshakable kingdom might remain. We pray that your word tonight would awaken us up, Lord, and give us a, that, that yearning of the Spirit of God that, that speaks way above the meaning of words, Lord, that you might bring into fulfillment your purpose for our lives, the destiny of our children, and the generations that come from us, O oh God. We pray, Father God, that your word would awaken us up and prepare us for these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. It was there uh, at that time, uh, I don't know to what extent possible uh, that it happened with respect to Mary and her encounter with Gabriel. Um, definitely Gabriel knew where Mary was and was able to arrive unaffected at her address and the expectation of God's fulfillment of our lives is, is seen there in a powerful way. Uh, in Luke chapter 1 verse 26, it always uh, impressed me the, the relationship with angels, God's messenger. Um, the Bible calls them ministering spirits. And they, they are available to the Lord's bidding at, at a moment's notice. Um, and in the particular sixth month, the Bible says, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the specific city uh, in the region of Galilee named Nazareth. We've been there. Um, and in that, that, that region, that young girl was born. And, and she's there in that city. And, and some of us want to have encounter with angels. Um, and I, I would suggest that these angels uh, are sent out to specific people. Uh, they're not sp uh, sent out to anyone uh, but the Bible strictly says in Hebrews 1.14, aren't the, are not the angels spirits that minister, that send forth to serve those that are receiving salvation? So understand that the interaction of, even in our time, for these, these ministers and agents of God, servants of God that are sat there to serve those that are inheriting salvation, um, I want to start out with the premise that the surroundings of Mary's life were prepared to receive angels. Um, and angels will come to the aid of those that, that have made a certain uh, surrounding for their presence to come. And, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit further um, as a previous verses up, Gabriel had already been to uh, Zechariah's life um, and announced uh, in verse 19 um, to Zechariah, one of the priests that were in the temple, he was telling them that his wife would give birth to John the Baptist. And Luke 1.19 says, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. These angels they're, they're, not, they're not, some people think the angels are just fluttering around just doing their own bidding. No, they're all at the Lord's command. Stand in the presence of God and was sent specifically to speak to you and bring you glad tidings. Um, and, and again, that was what he told him. In verse 20, he tells him a little bit further, uh, but behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak. We talked about that last week. Because he questioned whether God can do this or not. And so the angel just pressed the button there. He took his voice. And for days, 
these things, until these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which would be fulfilled in their own time. And we talked about last week the not being able to believe, not being able to believe that God is expecting to fulfill a purpose in our life and bring it to pass. And so the angels know this to be true, and, and so they put him, they put Zechariah out of commission. Um, let's go back to Luke 27. It talks a little bit more specific about uh, Mary. Uh, no, not 27, 1, 27. Um, chapter 1 of Luke, verse 27. The girl, uh, in, in the translation I have, says, Never having been married was a virgin, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. It gets a little bit more specific into the participants. Uh, and he was of the descendants of David, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so we have the person, and I, I want to use tonight an example of Mary's life for you to also understand that you have been explicitly chosen for specific purpose and, and that God is, is no doubt going to fulfill his desire. Um, so we have her name, we have where she lives, we have who she's engaged to. Um, and then in verse 28, the announcement comes which is congratulations, you have been favored, you've been selected, God has set you for a specific purpose. Highly favored, um, that's the same term used for grace. There's, there's huge grace upon your life, and the grace is the favor of God, and God doesn't give grace to everyone, he gives grace to the humble, he resists the proud. Um, Rejoice, celebrate, because you have been selected, and the Lord is with you, and you're blessed amongst, amongst many women, you have been selected. You, you are the one that God wants to fulfill a purpose in. Um, another translation says, Mary, rejoice, uh, because the Lord is with you, you're full of grace, and blessed amongst women. There's, there's abundant connection from heaven over your life. And I, I, want, to, I want to suggest that, that grace is something to receive depending on an attitude of heart. Grace, the goodness of the Lord, is there in regards to those that are welcoming it. And not, uh, like Paul says, you have received the grace of God in vain. It's not, being, it's not working out its purpose in your life. It's not preparing you. And so here, verse 29, there's a significant interchange that allows her to connect. Um, she was greatly troubled and disturbed. She was confused. Everything that, that probably is our sentiment as we start tonight's word is like, you know, try to put this thing together so it makes sense to me what you're trying to say. When she saw Gabriel, she was troubled at what he was saying, and considered. She put deep thought into what these initial words meant in reference to her purpose, what manner of greeting this was. Uh, what is God trying to tell me tonight? What is he trying to uh, convey? Uh, first, that there are sentiments in our lives that keep away God's purpose. And one of those sentiments is the sentiment of fear. And that's where he says in verse 30, uh, do not fear, and do not be afraid, for there is grace upon your life before God, with God. Um, we need to, every single one of us, as God spoke to us about starting uh, Spring of Life, it was a scary thing. Yvette turned to me and says, you know something, is this, what if we fail? What if this doesn't happen? And, and so fear grips our heart, um, and God has to deal with that, and you have to deal with that, to be able to remove fear far from anything God wants to do with your life. Um, even in Moses' life, when, when the angel came, and uh, it wasn't the angel, it was the fiery uh, bush, um, he says, how could this be? 
You know, I, I can't go challenge a Pharaoh. This is too huge. And he says, I am who I am. This has nothing to do with you. This is not uh, your capacity. In fact, um, one, of the, one of the initial, I believe, things that need to take place is that we're not fit for anything God wants to do. It's just his doing, his goodness, his grace. And so that removes any expectation of uh, am I worthy or will I be able to measure up? Listen, get fear out of your life because this is God and he's coming full blast with his grace and his grace will be sufficient to fulfill this. So removing realms of fear, um, whenever we go on a mission trip, uh, fear is there. Fear if we're going to be well received. Fear if we're going to make it there. Fear if we're in God's timing and purpose. And, and all these things come to challenge us. So he tells her, Mary, get fear out of your life and get full of grace. And this is what I wrote here. I said there are um, three things that, that allow you to to cause a fertile ground for God's purpose. One is the grace. One is your capacity to accept, you know, that not only accept from God, but to feel accepted by God, uh, worthy not because of you, but because of his goodness and his mercy. And the last one is love. These, these three things, grace, acceptance, and love, allow there to be a huge fertile ground for a great miracles and purposes. Um, and, and when you know that you're greatly loved by the Lord, he, uh, he will cover a multitude of your lackings. And, and so, God, fill me with a greater measure of grace. Fill me with a greater uh, measure of acceptance because rejection has the tendency to say, not me, not now, you know, and, and, and you push away God's agenda. And so we need to come before God and know that we are accepted and, and that we need to be acceptant of, because one of the, the questions that everyone asks in these times is, how is this going to happen? And, um, and that, that becomes an issue. We're going to get to that now. But being able to receive a message becomes the first step, and the message from God becomes a catalyst for purpose. To hear God's voice loud and clear. Fear not, because God is on your side in a manner that's greater than any, uh, any lack that you might not feel worthy of. Um, being able to receive this message, in verse 31, he says, listen. Listen. Let this thing in the front door. Let this thing in your heart. Let this thing consume your thoughts. That word, Behold. Take a picture of this. You're going to conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Jesus. Now, th this, is, this is what needs to come into our life. This is what every person who's ever done something for God, when Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his family, um, he received something from the Lord that was able to enter into his person and make them different than his whole generation. And so you need to have that capacity to receive the instruction of the Lord, the vision of God, uh, so that you can fulfill that which the Lord desires to place inside of you. And I want to suggest that every spiritual step is a spiritual intimacy with the Lord where you receive something that you're going to conceive. You receive something supernatural, and it's there, the message of God, and nothing. For weeks after the Lord spoke to us that night, April 6, uh, 1998, for weeks I kept on, is this there? Is that, was that just like, was it there? Was it there? And, and it's something that comes inside of you, and everybody had issue with whether this would come about or not. Uh, it was funny because when the Lord called us apart to, to start this ministry, my first reaction was what uh, she said here in verse 34. She, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't have a husband? I don't know a man. And that's what I said. I didn't say I didn't have a husband. I said I do not know a man because usually to start a ministry, you need money 
and usually money has to do with a wealthy person who says, I see your vision, I believe in you, go for it, I'm going to finance it. So I, I, was, I was telling the Lord, how can this be since I don't know a man? And I started laughing because I, I never thought I would, I would be on the same page as the Virgin Mary, but the Lord says, this has nothing to do with man, I'm going to back you. This is something that I'm going to finance and something that, that is, is beyond the measure of a man supporting, and it's always been like that. God has been super abundantly faithful. Everything we have has been the goodness of God in a measure that far exceeds our capacity. But going back, as she's listening, the angel continues to tell her in verse 32, he will be great. This that's been placed inside of you is going to be of magnitudes far surpassing anything that you can think of. Uh, he will be called the son of the highest. This will be the birthing of God's seed. The Lord God will give him the throne of his uh, father David. And then in verse 33, it says, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And there will be no end to his kingdom. So these, these things are powerful. These things are not by any means a thought of man. This is not conceived by a whole bunch of people getting together and having a lot of good ideas. It, it, listen to me. We have, we have tried in the past to sit there and gather together with 3, 4, 15, 20 people, 25 people in a room and say, look, let's all get together and let's do a good thing. But what God wants to plant inside of you foregoes anything that humans could come up with. In other words, he's the author of these things. Uh, he's written these things out. They are far beyond our capacity to contrive or create. Um, and, and he says that these things that we will conceive, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So what he's trying to convey to her, I want to deposit something inside of you which is way greater than your capacity to ever contrive. Um, and I wrote down here, um, that which is within you in, in God's purpose is greater than any of your restrictions or limitations. And, and again, I believe that God has to short fuse our thoughts, um, our mathematical equations and calculations and restrictions um, because in the natural, your response to any of these things would be like Mary in chapter th um, verse 34, trying to place God's greatness in your puny little mind is just a, it's a waste of energy. It's a waste of your, of your exercise. Mary said, how can this be? Okay, can you please, you know, fill me in with the details. Show me the particulars and, and just show me a rational manner how we're going to change the world. You know, how, how is that going to, listen to me. I was already at the point of seeing God in such a magnitude that there was no limits. He could feed the multitude, uh, 5,000 with, with fish and bread. He can, he can do things that way, way, way uh, pass and surpass my necessity for details. And I, I just want to, we're working up to something in regards to these are the things that he wants you to do in your personal life. These are the things he wants to do in your marriage life. These are the things he wants you to uh, consider and contemplate in your family life, in the church, and in uh, world missions and ministry. They're just way too huge for him to 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 put forth all the details. Um, the people that do not participate are the people that are requiring, demanding to know uh, the specifics. And it, it needs to fit in their little brain and then they'll, they'll walk in it. Uh, the Bible says that this is a manner to darken, to grow dim. Uh, the Bible says, by faith we understand. So if you don't have the magnitude to open up your heart and your mind to what God wants to do, there's no understanding it because it far surpasses your capacity in the natural. So 
As we walk towards expectation, we need to short fuse our pride. And our pride is that necessity to know. And this is why um, he has to deal with specifics, but he finishes with these words in verse 37, where he says, listen, let's get this settled from the start. That for God, nothing is impossible. Even though you feel you're not qualified, even though you feel it's not going to happen, not in this lifetime, not in this economy, not under these circumstances, not with these people, not with this family. Listen, what needs to be overriding in becoming a world-changing woman is you understanding that with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing. There are no restrictions, there are no limitations, there are no boundaries. So she, her question is maybe a natural response to these matters. How would this be? I want to suggest to you that you not spend very much time questioning God's potential and omnipotence and sovereignty over all things. Um, because at the end of the day, we are not very acquainted with the vast expanse and our, our, I don't know how you want to call it, I want to call it pride and arrogance, um, is holding back seeing the glory of God. As you want to add and get yourself a result, and God is telling you, get out of the way so you can see my glory. Get out of the way. Um, the angel had to tell Zechariah, you know, I need, to, I need to shut your mouth before you continue to ruin what God wants to do. You're not going to have the ability to speak. Um, you know, some of us that have done ministry for a long time understand the importance to shut some people up. And others think it's a lack of respect to shut people up. I've had one person says, what are you, Fidel Castro? I can't talk. I said, no, you're not, I'm not Fidel Castro, but you're slowing down what God wants to do. And your stupidity is distracting hordes of people. And so here in Titus, Paul gives instructions to his young, younger males, uh, his, his um, apprentices, and he tells them, look, there are a lot of unruly people, and usually unruly people like to express their opinions a whole lot. So let's, let's address this, and we'll go there um, in Titus, and we'll go to... Uh, Let's see here. Verse 10. He says, for there are many that are insubordinate. This is Titus 1.10. Titus 1.10. Paul is writing. He says, there are many insubordinate. And they like to talk a lot. And they like to deceive. They like to be deceptive. They like to, uh, they like to walk in, in. They're idle talkers. They're not talking with substance. Um, they're not falling in line. Insubordinate means they're not coming in order. And they're talking things they shouldn't be talking, especially deceiving those. And verse 11, he says, their mouths must be stopped because they're leading whole households astray, teaching things which they ought not. And they're doing it because they're, they're having some type of... Um, dishonest gain um, in what they're saying. So going back to this aspect of how can this be or not with me or not with my husband or not with my family or this is way beyond my mathematical financial capabilities. Um, the angels tried to give her the method in verse 12, Luke 1, and I'm sorry, Luke 1, 35. 
Um, he says there are no boundaries. There are no limits. There are no mathematical equations because the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. And that power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Um, can I say that, that having different spirits on us conceive, issue, and birth things that, that, that are a hindrance to God's calling and greatness? And we have in Sarah's and Abraham's case where... She, she had another thought. She had another mindset. She had other capabilities. I have Well, you just go, go have sex with the servant girl, and, and that's what. You know, so a lot of the things that are conceived by the Spirit of God can be um, opportunities to conceive the things in the flesh. And, and there's nothing more terrible than being overshadowed by lust and not by the love of God. Um, I don't know if my battery's wasting here. In other words, Lord, see me as a vessel of your grace that you could overshadow to birth things that come from you. See me as a vessel of grace. Don't see me as a vessel of dishonor, Lord. David used to say, don't cast me out of your presence. Don't throw me in the potter's field where those vessels are there that would never take the form of your desire. And uh, we were explained that when a vessel would not take the form, it was hard to work with, hard to work with, hard to work with, would continue to crack, would continue to not to bear weight, would continue to resist the hand of the potter, continue to resist the, the vessel, uh, be stuck in the heat and crack and not harden and, and solidify to be meat for the master's use. We're just thrown out in the potter's field. And that's where Judas was thrown. Um, who just, just left God's purpose and God's instruction. And he's thrown out there. And we see this take place in many instances. People that do not allow the spirit of God to shadow them. And to overcome them. To come over them. And uh, to birth things from the spirit of God things that are refreshing. Um, it's always very important that we have a sweet spirit and not a hostile and contentious spirit. Uh, very important that, that we, um, we all have the capacity to flare up and to give a person a piece of our mind, but that doesn't work the righteousness of God. That doesn't produce fruit that is pleasing to the Lord. And so she also said, this is not only going to be you. Um, you're not the only one tied into this plan. Verse 36, your relative Elizabeth in her old age shall also conceive. And she shall have a son in her old age. And this is now six months from now um, who is called barren. Uh, in other words, the spirit of the Lord is working in all of us. And, and that, that is an exciting thing because that... that I believe it's teamwork. I believe I don't have all the capacity. I, I just, I love to see other people moving in their grace and their capacity because it all comes together in purpose. Here was the one that would announce the Christ and, and God is doing stuff and you could tell your neighbor right next to you, this means you too. It's not only me, it's you. God's trying to overshadow us to produce something that's world changing caliber and, and we're not... You know, one of the things about celebrating Christmas is not only celebrate what happened historically. These are all shadows and types of things that are constantly taking place. Because in the kingdom of God, you need to be born of the water and the spirit. And, and so there are births. And you've already been born again. But now your ministry is, is trying to be born. What God is trying to do in your life spiritually is a birth. And it has the same, there are, there, you know, you're barren if there's no intimacy. You cannot say, I'm going to birth something and you don't have intimacy. So one of the first steps in birthing things with the Lord, that night that God spoke to us, April 6, 1998, and, and, and it was just one of the many things God had told us. But he told us, get up and go because I'm with you. And, and so that was a birth. And when I, I went and announced to everybody how, how, excited we were about this new 
uh, season in our life, a lot of people said, no, that's a stillborn. That's an abortion. You had it out of season. It's going to die. There's nothing there. I said, look, one day you're going to see this. You're going to see this and look into his face, and you're going to have to realize it's birth. It's here. It's not, it's not going to come. It's already come. Like, a, you know, a pregnant lady who, who says, listen, the, the doctor says, you just wait a second. I'll be right back with the nurse. It's like, <laughs> this thing is coming. And, and these things in the kingdom of God are births to those people who have intimacy, and their issue is eternal seed. And, and so I thank God even for this. I continue to see people that seasons of their life have passed and says, well, God passed me by in my season. No way. No way. Um, that, with, that which is within you is, 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 is purposed and destined to glorify God. And so uh, to be able to cultivate that relationship and that attitude, that's what we're talking about tonight. Um, verse 37, and then this is it. Uh, take away, lift up, remove, and far separate every impossibility. Because those things will not, uh, you know, get, get those things out of the way because with God, nothing will be impossible. So we're, we, we, man, I, I just... When I just consider what God has to go through to get us to come to the place that he's been calling us, he defined us, he formed us. He says, I formed you in your mother's womb. I've set you apart. I called you by name. I've sent you out and, and all these things. And still Jeremiah is saying, I'm too young. I can't talk, giving all the reasons why we can't. And I, I want to suggest that we have a response like Mary did in verse 38 where she said, I will declare, I will listen, I will line up with what God wants to do. I will believe. I'm, I'm going to enter into the power of agreement. I, I want to line up with what God says and what he wants me to do. And I am made as a servant unto the Lord. That's what I am. I'm, I'm here to serve in that capacity. She offers herself up as an instrument as a vessel and she declares let it be to me according to your word let let you know for everyone who lives upon the earth i was sitting here on sunday and there was a pregnant woman here and i said Pretty soon, I'll see that little baby run through these, these halls. And I, I was just projecting what comes to the future. And the person right next to me says, yeah, and I see Alzheimer's too. Yeah, yeah. Because we're living in that world where people are, 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 are being used by, you know, negative demonic forces that are speaking contrary to the life of God. And they're constantly surrounding us and they're constantly uh, making issue with respect to what God has placed. And so she's saying, I'm, I'm offering myself unto the Lord. Let it be according to his word, unto your word. And the angel de departed. That message was delivered. And, and I, I just want tonight to, as we get ready for the Christmas season, to, to see that God is not... Um, postponing this, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, that God starts with a firm foundation, that whoever wants to become a world-changing woman like this woman um, needs to be able to see that God is not just depositing purpose and seed anywhere, but in a vessel that is fit for that purpose, 1 Timothy 2, 19. Do we have it? Then it's 2 Timothy 2.19. I'm sorry, guys. Do we have it there? Yeah, there it is. Nevertheless, there's a solid foundation that God wants to build upon. And it stands having this seal that the Lord is intimate that with those who are his. And therefore, let everyone who is calling upon the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You cannot fulfill God's purpose if you're pursuing your own. 
You cannot fulfill God's purpose if you're not where God wants you to be. I, I want to suggest that, that Mary's life reflects a desire to live for God. And in every major aspect in her life, we see her participating uh, at the birth of Christ. We see her at the announcement. We see her at the crucifixion. We see her in the upper room after Jesus left, after he ascended to heaven. She's still there uh, in the upper room with the disciples. And so much more than just one episode, one scene, and be magnified in one moment, she had a disposition in heart to persevere in the things of God. And so that's who God is able to change the world with. Uh, knowing those who are his, let those who name the name of the Christ depart from iniquity, doing your own thing. And here it is, verse 20. For in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for purposes that are honorable and some for dishonor. And so I'm like trying to figure out, okay, Lord, where am I in this great house and in your purpose and in this family, where am I? In verse 21, it's according to the disposition that everyone cleanse himself from the latter, talking about dishonor. How, how is it that you remove dishonor out of your life? How is it that you remove this contaminant, this toxin? You, you can't give somebody to drink when there's no honor. And so a vessel of honor needs to cleanse himself from dishonor. And that's the process of sanctification so that you might be useful for the master prepared for every good work. And these, these issues, you can name them um, whatever controversy you're having. Just, just write it on a sheet of paper. Whatever irritates you whatever rubs you wrong that causes you to say, you know something, fly a kite, man. You know, what's up with you? I know, you know. And whatever the attitudes are, write them down and say, Lord, you're dealing with this because my calling is standing behind this. In other words, when I go to my ministry, and I want to tell you your ministry is a lot greater than you could even fathom. Um, whenever you're sent out, you're going to have these issues. You're going to, they're going to change your schedule. They're going to change your room. They're going to change your hotel. They're going to change where you want to eat. They're going to tell you words that are not pleasant. And so all these things that make us very ugly people need to be dealt with. And so we need to start now uh, cleansing ourselves from any toxins that, that come out and arise in a certain situation. Um, I could just see it now. Some months down the road, Mary is told that she needs to travel to Joseph's homeland. Well, you know what? I'm staying with my mama. We're going to give birth in my house. Mommy's going to be right next to me. She, she was prepared. She was prepared to go to his homeland when the laws changed. She was prepared not to have the expectation of the best hotel or hospital or in a manger, a stable. And, and so you see that she's fit to change the world. She's fit to partner with God. She's fit to have, I don't know how many shepherds came to see her in not her best. And, and probably gaze at her right after giving birth. Like, get them out of this room. I don't want these guys around. But she had a disposition full, say with me, of grace. Fool, go ahead. I know some of you can't. You guys are like, you're gonna curse, right? Full of grace. That means, and we we have said it here numerous times. This is a a bottle full of water, and whatever whatever hits the vessel, this is what comes out. So if the expression is not welcoming, there's gonna be issues. For the fulfillment of God's purpose. Whoever cleanses himself from these things that are toxin, separates him from those corrupting influences, then he'll be a vessel. He'll be useful, honorable, notable, uh, profitable to the master for every good work. And so I, I want to challenge you that a woman that's full of grace 
is a woman prepared to take on the, word, the number, the, the, the word grace has a biblical number, and it's five. Um, every time the Bible talks about something that has been gifted in grace, um, it'll, it'll enumerate the number five. So like in Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, the Bible says God has given gifts to men. He, gave, he himself gave gifts. He was gracious. He was, he was giving. And then, no, verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, the number five. So grace is always the number five. And a woman who's full of grace um, would be a woman who is prepared to be meet and fit for the husband God gives her to prosper and to be a perfect helper to a man, to be um, not only to help that man achieve his purpose, but to establish something where when man dies and she dies, the Lord is able to form something called the marriage. So she's prepared to, to assist a man in uh, building a marriage. And we know that this is uh, something along the lines of, uh, I, Paul writes in Ephesians 5.25, he says, I speak a mystery. And, and this mystery is Christ in the church. Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That, that the second, the first aspect is being a blessing to a man to be his ideal companion. It's not good that man would be alone. I'm going to create a perfect helper. And then they establish something called the marriage. And that marriage component is powerful because it's greater than man. A, ma a marriage reflects Christ in the church. It's a greater reflection than man himself. And then number three, a family. When those kids come down the road, a woman that's full of grace is a blessing to a man. A woman who's a disgrace will, say with me, destroy a man. If you're a world-changing woman, you know what the, what the measure of your purpose upon the earth is to be able to solidify the integrity and the reputation of a man. And to sit there, and the Bible says there's one thing more wicked or more distasteful or more bitter than death, Ecclesiastes 7.26. And, and it's the opposite of being a blessing to a man. It's, it's a woman, he says, I find more bitter than death a woman whose emotional sentiments are traps and they're nets, they're complicated. I, I don't know, every time I see, uh, we go to Hikilio in Nicaragua, I see these fishermen and they're, they're fixing the nets. They're always entangled. They're always, uh, you can't do nothing. Let's not go over there because that's a mess. When I go fishing, I hate fishing with one of those rods that have an open flywheel, I think it's called. What's it called? A bale. A bale? Okay, a bail. You know, because you, you fish, and all that stuff, that thing is going normal, all of a sudden it goes, and it just flares up. And, and how horrible to be married to a woman like that. Every conversation is up. Every outing is up. Every conversation with mom is up. And so I'm like freaking out. I'm like, you can't take this woman to the park because it's just going to be controversy. Take her to the park, and she's going to say, why didn't you ever take me to the park before? I said, I'm taking you now. And so if we're going to be world-changing women, you know, you're fighting yourself. That's, that's what it comes down to. And, and those are issues you need to resolve. You need to be a blessing. I find more bitter than death a woman whose heart is just a bunch of nets and snares, whose hands are fetters. Uh, let nothing happen. She just lock them in. Who, he who pleases God shall escape from her. But the sinner, the ungodly man, will be trapped by her. So I always say, and this is, this is very powerful, the greatest gift God gave man has been woman. The greatest gift. Now, the, just as the measure of that glory is in God's purpose, the same is true that the greatest destruction and bitterness for man upon the earth is woman. Nothing, nothing has destroyed man more 
and nothing has affected him more than uh, being around a foolish woman. And so we, we again need to come before God and pray and say, Lord, uh, if more bitter than death is a woman whose heart is snares and nets, then I want to, I find more better than death, uh, more excellent in life, a woman whose heart is not somebody who is out of order. And we're going to get to that right now. And, and it's a disposition of a heart attitude whose hands are not fetters. Uh, and and I, I say this all the time, even before, you know, we started the church, that, that being able to wait upon God and, and, and pray for a virtuous woman was super important to the ministry God had for us. Because I can tell you one thing, uh, we've been a church now for 15 years. The church has never had the issue of my relationship with Yvette as an issue that the church has had to deal with. And just this week in Orlando, a, a pastor committed suicide yesterday. Isaac Hunter, Pastor Isaac Hunter from the Summit Church, uh, because of his problems with his wife last year as he entered into an adulterous affair and then this, he, he resigned as a pastor after 13 years of marriage. And, and yesterday he committed suicide. They found him. And so this is what I'm talking about. A lot of people, when we're discussing these issues, say, well, pastor, you know, you were a little bit too hard. I'm not too hard. If we don't get where we need to be, then the devil is going to have his way. And he came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And so we, we don't even want to go there. This, I'm not talking about a believer. I'm not talking about a minister. I'm talking about a pastor. And so we, we don't take these things lightly for they're the foundations of what God wants to do. Being women who are prepared to be a blessing to men, being a women that are prepared to be a blessing in the state of marriage, because I don't know about you, but I've heard some wonderful stories of women that were great to date, but were horrible to marry. I mean, know anybody like that? Anybody? Oh, man. Your throat is on the line. They're going to cut you tonight. Sleeping with the enemy tonight. You were a great girlfriend, but a horrible wife. That shouldn't be. That should not be. You should be an excellent wife. You should, you should be the refreshing of your marriage relationship. And this does not mean some people are uh, great uh, moms, and they, they create a great environment for the home, but are lousy wives. Lousy. And they've just put that, no, we have kids now. I can't, I can't be brave. And they start using Bible verses on their husbands. And, and that's not to be. So you're a woman full of grace as you are prepared to bring a man to his integrity, reputation, and call, to bring your marriage, to be exemplary in the house of God, to bless your family. Because the, the Bible says in Proverbs 17, 6, that the glory of children are their parents. So a, a horrible home. Children's children are the crown of old men, but the glory of children, and another translation says, is their parents how their parents get along. This, this produces family, and it's this family that becomes a blessing to the church. You're full of grace as a woman. You're full of grace in marriage. You're full of grace in your family. You're able to raise up children that are exemplary, that respect their fathers. The Bible says in Malachi 4, 6, that if the heart of the children are not turned towards the father, and the heart of the father is not turned towards the children, there will be a great curse upon the earth. There will be chaos. There will be confusion. And I would like to suggest that the nexus, what turns the hearts of children and fathers towards each other, is the mom, is the woman. The hand that rocks the cradle governs the earth, rules the world. And, and usually we're very good at the posturing the relations between children and their fathers and stinking it up and, and, and justifying it however you justify it. But all that produces is chaos and confusion. And so while Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 says, children, obey, obey your parents in the Lord, um, the, 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 the instruction to women is not necessarily to obey their husbands. But this verse here, um, I want to touch in Titus. It says, Titus chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, that the woman has a greater response, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to 
to love their children. There it is, the, also the world-changing woman, the, the marriage, and then the family. Verse 5, to be discreet, chaste homemakers, to raise up a family, to raise up a generation, good and obedient to their husbands, that their word of God may not be blasphemed. When you're looking at that word, obedient to their husbands, um, the, the word that is used in verse 4, let's go to verse 4, a young woman to love their husbands. I have here, um, <laughs> the word that is used there is hupotasso. That's verse 5. It's obedient to their husbands. Hupotasso, hupo under, tasso order. The attitude of coming under the order of the directives, a military term, not an imposition, uh, but something more along the lines of lining up to do warfare. Let's, let's get on the same page so we can together confront the enemy. And that's the word obedient. It's not, it's hupotasso to their husbands, in submission, under the order, trying to line up with what needs to happen. What for? So that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So that people not disrespect the testimony of the ministry of the word, uh, particularly at church. Um, there's nothing more destructive than to come to church and listen into the word of God, listen to the ministry, understand the instruction, and, and then discount it in your personal life at home with your husband and family. That makes for a poor church. That makes for a powerless church, a church without power. Um, we, we've seen this in our missionary uh, undertakings. We'll go to a city, to a town. The pastor invites us over, and his whole family is backslidden. His, his older son joined the gang. His younger daughter got pregnant. His third son got married outside the church. His last son wants to run away. And, and they know the word of God. And they know the instruction and they raise up. And guess what? That makes for a non-world-changing woman. A non-world-changing wife, mother. Non-world-changing ministry partner. And so as we discuss these things, a woman who's full of grace has the capacity to be a blessing to a man both before and after marriage. You guys can say amen. Both before and after. Number two... Be a world-changing wife, which is that marriage relationship which is so difficult. It's the very expression upon the earth of Christ in the church. Number three, a world-changing family. Because if your children don't believe in your marriage and in, your, in the way you proceed, they're just going to rebel. Number four, a church. A, a woman who's full of grace is a woman who's prepared to have an expression in church um, with regards to being able to teach these things and to show forth an example. I've been a blessing to my husband. I've been a blessing to our marriage. I've been a blessing to our family. I'm prepared to be a blessing at church because some people have it all together and then when they bring their wives to church, they fight with everybody. As keeper, we have the baby room and then the quarreling woman, you know, the one that has issue. No, we're here to be perfected in what? In our attitudes, in our character, in our disposition. I want to give them a piece of my mind. And guess what? Nobody needs to know your mind. We need to know the mind of Christ. We need to hear from God. We need to see the witness of the Spirit of the Lord. And so that needs to surpass. And then finally, um, I see in Revelations that the church that is rebuked for having a, for tolerating the spirit of an ungodly woman uh, and it's just a spirit. It's not an actual woman. Uh, this woman in Revelations 2, when the Bible addresses this woman, I'm sorry, uh, let me get to it. As the Bible addresses uh, tolerating this woman in verse um, I would say Verse 20, he says, I have this against you. He's writing to a church, right? And, and if we're not successful in church, then there's no ministry. 
outside and what we do in this world is a ministry mindset. Nevertheless, I have these few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants. So as she's moving in her influence there at that church, um, I want to suggest that she is not a blessing to the ministry in verse 26 those who overcome that spirit that wants to exert its influence in us, he who overcomes and keeps my work until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. This is ministry now that's not your personal life, your husband's personal life, it's not your marriage, it's not your family, it's not the church. Now it's the nations. And if you overcome and, and you're birthed into a spirit that overcomes these matters, I want to suggest to you that you're a world-changing woman. I want to suggest to you that we need some more world-changing women. Women that are filled up with grace. Women that know that God can do all things. Women that are able to build a house, to build a family, to be able to build a relationship with a, a marriage that's exemplary. And in all these manners, we thank the Lord for his mercy and grace upon our life that are sufficient to bring us to this place. Now, um, many of times as we share the word of God, uh, we know that there are people on every side of the issue. There are people that are single here. And I, I want to encourage you to start being, uh, you know, if we were all to give a conference tonight on preparing for marriage, you, you want to make sure that when your husband comes on the scene, you haven't been the last billboard chart, you know, on, on everybody's top 10, you know, going out with 500 people, that you keep yourself and that you're establishing that testimony now in this season so that uh, you're, 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 you welcome the opportunity God has to fulfill his purpose in your life. And then those of you that um, already uh, have found your man and you're standing by your man, that you understand that both of you need as a goal to establish a godly marriage. And you cannot do that without a woman who's filled with grace. You, you, you'll see the, the, I want to say something today and real quickly, that the majority of the men who do not go out to do ministry is because they're embarrassed at the way their wives treat them. That's why they don't take leadership positions. You can shout amen. That's a good one. They don't want to be in a Bible study where their wife says, shut up. Right, let me teach this. I got a hand on this. And the husband's like, excuse me, I, my wife has something to say. No. And so men do not want to be in that embarrassing position. So if you're married, you need to start walking in a manner which exerts respect and, and an ability for your husband to be able to express. And then at home, you, that's what Paul says, when you get home, you get your husband and, and both you guys get on the same page. But if you're going to become a world-changing marriage, you need to zip it up here. Let your husband, you know, that's, that's who represents the house. That represents the voice. And should he, and I've done it on many times, I say, you know, my wife wants to share something and she has something on her heart and that's also permissible and available and powerful. And I always say when Yvette speaks, it's a lot more powerful than my preaching. Um, but, but it's very important that, and, and I was just told that when we went to Mexico, that her dignity validated my ministry. Isn't that powerful? That it was her next to me not going crazy that was more powerful than any theological doctrinal interruption that could have gone on. So the power of a marriage is powerful and don't underestimate its power. That's why the devil wants to destroy it. It's the most powerful thing that expresses Christ in the church. And then a family because whether you like it or not, your children are going to imitate you. And I really think, and this is, this is powerful, that the only way that it gets into the spirit of our children to submit to authority is as they see their mom do it. 
I, I'm telling you, this is the most powerful thing I have witnessed. Because here you have somebody that is way more qualified, way more articulate, way more savvy, and it's meekness. It's power under restraint. And when I asked the Lord, why didn't you make Yvette the leader of this place, of this ship? We'd probably go faster and better. And he says, because I'm not asking the woman to do anything different than what I did. I, being God, Philippians 2 says, he didn't grasp for it as anything to make of his reputation. But he, so he it says he humbled himself and took the form of a man. And as a man, he took the form of a servant, even lower. And even lower, he went to death and he was obedient to death and death on a cross. And this is why he was given a name above every name. And he was given a name where every knee bows and every tongue confesses. And I want to suggest that a woman that is wise in that regard, the city gates will praise her in the time to come. She would have done far better than any other woman because both her husband and her children praise her. Because we know, we know that, that what Mama, Mama Bear could do all things. And the fact that she is waiting patiently on the goodness of God causes the glory of God to be seen and not her glory. So there it is, uh, a world-changing woman before marriage, while she's married, in her family with her children, uh, as she, and authority is authority. I want to just remind you on that. Authority is authority. Wherever you're at, the expressions are available for your opportunities to uh, curtail uh, arrogance and, and uh, having an insolent attitude. Then the church is a great place to where sin abounds, grace overabounds. That means your real you is going to come out in church. You're real, 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 real you. You're going, to get, you're going to get pinched and inched in every area of your life because this is a perfecting place that we might be glorious without spot, without wrinkle. So God displays us as his trophies of grace. So a lot of the things that are happening to me in ministry outside the church have already happened to me for years inside the church. And people are like, well, you don't get upset. No, this is normal. We're family. Everything's okay. You know, nobody picked me up to go to the conference. I'm, I'm fine. And it's already there, you know. I, I don't have to make it up. And then when we don't have that, then, then it's an eyesore. It's a disgrace. And then finally, we're qualified to do ministry to the nations. And that's what this church is about. And this is why many people, uh, they want to be a blessing maybe to their husband. They want to be a, a blessing to their marriage, to their family, but not to the church and not to the nations. Well, this is not a church for you because here we're changing the world. And God is preparing those that are going to have the capacity and no problems. They're, oh, yeah, we know that. Uh, our young men, when they go into the secular field and when they go into the corporate world, they, their bosses are like, man, you know, where'd you get who you are? I said, well, we grew up in church, man, and, and we got polished. So it's whatever, whatever God wants to do, we're willing to. We have peace. We have joy. And they get the, they get the most promotions. They get the higher positions people want the character of Christ in this world. So let's stand tonight and say, God, pour out your grace. Let's ask the worship team to come forward. And, and we can sing Amazing Grace tonight. I don't know if you guys know it. Um, and ask God's grace to come upon you because his grace is sufficient. And the, the capacity we have to repent is powerful. You know, that's a foundation for a Christian life to be able to say, I'm sorry. The power to reconcile, to fix relationships that are out of place, the power to strengthen, and all that is here in God's goodness uh, upon our lives so that we might be useful. Uh, I'll, I'll say uh, you will be world-changing women as you really, really, listen to me. It must be horrifically awful to know that you're called to be a precious princess and you're walking around like a Jezebel Babylonic whore you're walking like a, a woman without dignity a woman without reputation and it, it's crushing on your children if we see uh, revelations 2 it says that that her her attitude passes on to the children and and you're just reproducing after your kind when when you don't deal with these things um Verse 23, it causes God, verse 22, it says, Behold, I'll cast her into a bed, and, 
and them that commit adultery with her that have relationships with an unclean spirit into great tribulation except they repent from her works and verse 23 I will kill her offspring with death and all the churches shall know that I am he that searches the hearts and I give to each one according to his works so here God is, is giving us two models here the Virgin Mary full of grace birthing the Savior the world-changing Christ and then this woman who God says I'm gonna kill her offspring it's not fit for it to be around what she's producing is is not of world-changing nature so all these things are present in the mix um, and, and we are more than overcomers in Christ we, we can rise to the challenge and, and get to this place ask God to make you a world-changing woman in these five areas of grace uh, to bless a man to bless a marriage, to bless a family, to bless a church, and to bless the nations. It's in the key of G. You got that or no? Is it G or no? Okay, go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the rest. 